This is James Schofield, and you're listening to Behind the Bottom Line. This is episode three of season seven, and today I'm taking you off to Hollywood for a story about the real stars there, the screenwriters, because it doesn't matter how big the names in a film are, if the script is rubbish, the film is rubbish. Now, I hope all of my listeners out there like romantic comedies, because if you don't, you're going to hate this story. I have to out myself. My view on life and romance has been shaped far too much by romantic comedies. When it was a child, it was Doris Day and Rock Hudson. Then later on, probably Hugh Grant and Andy McDowell or Sandra Bullock. Nowadays, probably, well, yeah, okay. I just watched the old ones all over again. So get ready to laugh, get ready to cry, get ready for rom-com. The lights dim and the audience goes quiet. As the curtains draw and the music starts for the premiere, I look at Ed from the corner of my eye to see how he's doing. Not well. Popcorn is going from bucket to mouth on autopilot. He's nervous. Jane, he whispers, this film could destroy our careers as writers in Hollywood. So what? I answer. I'm only writing scripts until I can break into waitressing. All those restaurants out there, one of them has got a job with my name on it. He laughs a little, and then his eyes go back to the screen and his hand to the popcorn. Maybe he's right, I think. Maybe this will be the last screenplay either of us ever write. I sit back and mentally fasten my seatbelt. This could be a bumpy night. Ed and I have known of each other for a while. He does mostly spy thrillers with plots so complicated you have to see the film twice to understand it. I write three-generation family sagas with lots of period costumes, refugees, Nazis and people losing the love of their lives only to find them again in the last ten minutes of the film just before one of them dies. Anyway, When a studio suggests we try writing together, it sounds interesting. But not a rom-com, I tell him. I don't do banter. It must be something serious. Ed nods. I agree. All that gender war, jokey dialogue between the romantic characters is awful. So the studio rents us a house near the beach for two weeks, fills it with food and drink, and we set up laptops opposite each other. We sit there on the first morning, waiting. I have an idea for... We say at the same time, then both stop. You first, I say. Okay, he agrees, which annoys me. Whatever happened to ladies first? I have this idea for a sci-fi detective story, very Bogart, very film noir, but set in another galaxy. A murder in a high-security prison colony brings Special Agent Logan Fist to the planet Kraken. Kraken looking good, I interrupt. Sounds like a fast-food chicken restaurant run by Jedi Knights. He looks hurt. I thought it would be fun to try something new. 
What's your idea then? Okay. Famous classical pianist Anton Dropsky hears a beautiful young woman playing a piano at a train station and falls in love with... I stop. Ed's head is on his keyboard and he's fake snoring. Oh, I'm sorry, he says. I must have dropped Ofsky. Let me guess, they lose each other and then he finds her again in the last ten minutes of the film taking part in an international piano competition where he's one of the judges. Am I right? I feel hurt. Well, yes, but he's also got a brain tumour and is dying. You didn't get that, genius. We glare at each other over our screens. This might be difficult. I'll work on the veranda, I say with dignity. Have fun with Special Agent Fist. Over the next ten days, we make no progress on a joint script, despite using different techniques to get past our creative block. One morning, we try mixing our stories together, but all I manage to write is Keys to the Heart. Special Agent Fist travels to the planet Kraken only to find that his long-lost love, Vera Steptance, has been imprisoned by the brutal Commander Dropsky. Only by winning a pan-galactic piano competition can he hope to save her from execution. While Ed produces The Lockdown, Anton Dropsky, evil spymaster for the Kraken Empire, forces the beautiful pianist Vera Steptance to steal the plans for a time machine from Special Agent Fist, can Fist rescue the plans and Vera before the universe is destroyed? That evening, we drink too much and start writing imaginary film reviews. However many films you see in 2023, make sure none of them are keys to the heart, suggests Ed. The lockdown does for love stories what Jaws did for swimming in the ocean, I propose. But then, probably thanks to the alcohol, something happens that night. The block is gone and in only two days, after recovering from a huge hangover, we managed to produce a script to send to the studio. To be honest, it's not our usual style at all, so we're surprised when the bosses love it and production starts but the real test for a film is always the audience and the first night reviews. And so, completely terrified, we sit through the film premiere of Lock Down Your Heart, starring Amanda Lark and Rupert Hunt. Next morning, I wake up early. The audience enjoyed themselves last night, but what do the reviews say? I pull out my cell phone and I'm about to read Harrison Whittle, film critic for the Washington Times, when it rings. Read the reviews for me, Ed begs. I can't do it myself. Start with Whittle. He's the best. I skim read the article, and I can't resist teasing Ed a little. Hmm, I say slowly. On the plus side, he loves Amanda and Rupert. Amanda Hart convinces as concert pianist Vera Steptance 
while Rupert Hunt is every inch the heroic space pilot Logan Fist. They remind him of Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck. Oh, well, that's good. What's on the negative side? Let's see. Uh, however, the performance of Boris Tupov as Anton Dropsky is... Achoo! I sneeze. Hold on a second. I have to get a tissue. I get one and blow my nose loudly for about two minutes. <laughs> Where was I? The performance of Boris Tupov is... What? Screams Ed. Ah, yes. Is extraordinary. How does he mean that? Asks Ed in a voice so pathetic, I take pity and read him the whole article. Whittle loves the film, loves the stars, and most of all, loves the writing. It's brought the classic rom-com formula into the 21st century he says. How could two writers, best known for schlocky thrillers and period melodramas, write something so sophisticated and witty, he wonders. You just need enough wine and some of your own rom-com, I think to myself. Ed is now dancing around the kitchen and singing. That's enough, I shout down the stairs. Bring me some tea and we can look at the rest in bed. Oh yes, you read that right. Ed was dancing around my kitchen. And then maybe a little bit of rom-com, he asks. I suppose so, I answer. But none of your banter, all right? Rom-com was published by Business Spotlight in 2020. And it was inspired mainly by one thing. I had complete writer's block and had no idea what kind of story to write. So I looked up different techniques for breaking writer's block. And those are some of the techniques that crop up in the story. The one I particularly liked was the idea of writing a newspaper review of the end product. Um, and I just twisted that a little bit by having really bad reviews. At some point during this process, I started wondering if writing teams, so like most television series these days, are written by teams of writers. And I wondered if you could have an entire team suffering from writer's block. I've always felt quite privileged that I can write on my own, because I've always felt it would be difficult to write with other people. At various times in my past, I cooperated with other authors for textbooks, which was okay because you could divide up the tasks quite nicely. But I'm not sure whether I'd be able to work with another writer on creating fiction. On the other hand, I could imagine that the sharing of different ideas between two writers could also spark creativity. And that's a little bit what I was exploring in this story. The romantic comedy genre, of course, is older than Hollywood. Shakespeare, of course, wrote lots of really great romantic comedies, if you think of Midsummer Night's Dream, for example. And the genre always follows a pattern. Two unfulfilled people meet, 
they are in denial that they are unfulfilled. They recognize that the other person has the something that would make them fulfilled, but because they are in denial, they refuse to accept it. And the film is then about all the obstacles they create to resist their inevitable destiny, which is to be together. If they succeed, it's a comedy. Um, and of course, if they fail, it's a tragedy. The two genres are not really so very far apart. It would actually be quite easy to rewrite Romeo and Juliet as a romantic comedy. In fact, I might try that sometime. The first version of the story was actually completely different. It wasn't a comedy at all. And let me just read to you what I managed to create before I gave it up. She's in here, the nurse said to me. I looked through the small glass window into the cell. It was one of the basic psychiatric cells. A bed, a chair, a lavatory, all screwed to the floor, and high up on the plain white walls a window with bars across it. Anita sat on the edge of the bed, dressed in one of the white gowns they made them wear, her lips moving slightly as if singing a song. Has she said anything about what happened? I asked. The nurse shook his head. Nothing. She said she'll only speak to you. The recorders have all been set up. We'll get everything she says. But Tyler, her husband, he's dead? Very. Crossbow bolt in his head. And there was nobody else there. Again he shook his head, then unlocked the door. Ring when you want to be let out. The bell is on the wall. Won't you stay with me? She says she won't say anything unless you're on your own. But don't worry, she's no trouble. Compared to our usual guests, she's a dream. Very polite and... Screams from another cell suddenly filled the corridor. He opened Anita's door, I stepped inside, and the door was locked behind me. I heard his footsteps running towards the noise. This mess is my fault. You see, it was my idea that the two of them should write something together. I'm the commissioning editor at Queensfield Publishing for crime novels, and Anita Ball and Tyler Watt were my two hottest authors. And on top of that, they were married. If they could write a novel together, it would be a guaranteed bestseller, and every chance of being bought by a film studio. So I rented them a nice quiet cottage in the middle of nowhere, with no internet connection or phone line, filled the fridge with food, the cellar with wine, took away their mobiles, and said I'd be back in two weeks to see their masterpiece. So anyway, I got this far, and then I gave it up because I felt it was complete rubbish. So that's an idea that will stay locked up in my computer now forever, unless, of course, there's somebody out there who can see a way to take it forward, in which case, well, you know, give me a call. Let's work something out.
I think if I was in the film business, I would definitely want to be a screenwriter. Um, of course, it's an area where you have to make lots of compromises because so many people have a say. But I do think it's amazing when a writer manages to pull it off. Um, and f- for me, the ultimate romantic comedy is by Nora Ephron, uh, When Harry Met Sally. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Why don't you visit my website, behindthebottomline.com, and you can leave a review there, uh, or you can leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And please tell your friends all about Behind the Bottom Line. And remember, you can read each of this season's stories on my website. There is a transcript section. Next week's story is called The West Tower, in which I try my hand at a little bit of gothic horror. Uh, I hope you'll be back to listen to it. Until then, take care and goodbye. <laughs>